This is Shinji Kagawa, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. To episode 181 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, as always, and I'm joined by two guys for this very jam packed episode where we have to talk about Schalke, Hamburg, Bayern, and Monaco, and have some other news as well. And for that, join me on the one corner, Mr. Konstantin Eckner. Hello, Konstantin. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan.、Um, I'm fine. How are you? I am doing fine myself. Thank you very much. And in the other corner, Mr. Matthias Zug, once again here. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? I am, I'm feeling content. Thank you for asking, Stefan. All right. To the news. But before I do that, I have to thank, and the big thank you,、uh, goes out to a couple of our Patreon subscribers.、Uh, If you want to support us, you can do that on patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And the,、uh, shout out this time, and I'm sorry if I butcher any names here, goes out to Nico, Nikaura, Nawa, Kanai, Nicholas Campion, and Danny Smith. And yes, thank you, Danny Smith, for allowing me not to butcher at least one name. <laughs> <laughs> you butchered the other ones, but yeah. Yep, probably I did. Very likely. Anywho, to the news, and it was Lukas Piszczek who put pen to paper today and extended his running deal from 2018 to 2019, which means he has two more years to play for Dortmund, saying that he's very proud to wear the yellow shirt and play in front of the great fans and all that. So, Matthias, your first thoughts on that piece of news? I think it's great.、Um, yeah, he, he probably could have done a move. Somewhere else, he still has enough in the tank. I mean, maybe MLS or, or something like that, or, or Italy. It's a little bit lower pace league, but,、uh, he still has plenty left to offer. Um, and so I think it's great. Um, it's a shame we couldn't do the same thing with Cuba at the end of the day. Um, you know, kind of one of those legendary players. So it's good to see. Pischek, uh, stick around for a couple more seasons and maybe that'll, he'll end his career as a BFOB player. Yeah, I would assume so unless he chooses to,、uh, go to one of the retirement leagues you just mentioned, like the MLS. Or, or a Serie A. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> well, from the retirement leagues to the Bundesliga now. Borussia Dortmund dropped two points away to Gelsenkirchen, a 1-1 draw and a review derby, a match that Dortmund dominated for most stretches, I guess, of the 90 minutes. Matthias, your takeaways from that game? Um, well, yeah, if you don't use your chances, you get punished,、uh, especially against a team that doesn't completely suck,、um, like Schalke. Uh, but, uh, Yeah, it, 70 minutes really good, 20 minutes, yeah, not so great. Yeah, you mentioned it, don't worry, the better team in the first 70 minutes or at least for 70 minutes in the game. Um, but, you know, looking at the first half, Dortmund and Schalke more or less neutralized each other before it got a little bit better in the second half for Dortmund where they created a couple more chances.、Uh, Konstantin, why was it such a stalemate in the first 45 minutes? Absolutely. That has something to do with Schalke's、uh, overall approach to man mark basically every opposing player.、Um, so what happens is that、uh, in, in Dortmund's case, the formation would have worked well, but you got like the,、uh, these opposing players who are Um, you know, close to you. So you basically improve Schalke's formation at the same time. Um, you force them to have an effective defensive formation, at least for 45 or 60 minutes, uh, until the gas tank, gas tank gets empty. Um, 
So, and it took Dortmund some time to figure out um, how to build up uh, effectively uh, involving Schmelzer in a deep position uh, against Kelly Jury. Um, that worked out well um, slowly but surely. So, yeah, but you're right. They neutralized uh, each other for quite some time. Yeah, I think you could really see it best in the uh, duel between Gonzalo Castro and Bentaleb, who uh, more or less men-marked each other. And there was a point where Tuchel really yelled out at Castro because Castro uh, yeah, also was a bit lackluster in his passing, passing in the final third. And that more or less yeah, led to Dortmund not creating much and Schalke also not creating much. Um, Matthias, one of the players we have to highlight from this game though, and, uh, also has to do with gegenpressing in a way is Marcel Schmelzer. Uh, how did you see him? It was definitely very good. Um, I'd say probably one of the best. Yeah. Uh, and you could clearly see that when, when he wasn't playing anymore, uh, as the rhythm seemed to, to falter. Cause there was a lot that Dalton did over his side, um, you know, a, a lot of opportunities came that way and Schalker really couldn't get anything done. Uh, part of that had to do with, of course, Chupomoting being off sides about a hundred times in that match. Uh, granted that was on the other side of the field, but still, uh, Schmetz had a very, very good match and it was a real shame to see him go down. Yeah, I personally also thought he was excellent and, uh, you could really see the difference. Once he was off the field, that of course is also when Schalke scored, when uh, Dortmund tried to seal the ball off Goretzka with three players, but leaving Kera alone. Goretzka with a brilliant back heel, I have to admit, to find Kera. And uh, yeah, he put it away. And uh, yeah, putting it away wasn't really the strength of Borussia Dortmund in that game, uh, except for that one goal, which was really nicely carved out by Dembele to Kagawa, who then just found Aubameyang, and yeah, he basically had a tap-in. However, we also have to talk about Aubameyang for uh, yeah, squaring a ball and uh, to Dembele, which was intercepted by Hövedes, which should have been the 2-0 and probably would have won the game for Dortmund, but uh, it didn't. Was it a false decision, Constantine? I don't really know if there, if you can make a right and a wrong decision in a situation like that. Uh, it was a 50-50, in my opinion, so um, it didn't work out. But you have to just move on and, uh, you know, create another goal-scoring opportunity. Um, I mean, Aubameyang in the last few matches, sometimes he looked unlucky uh, in the final third. But then again, sometimes you can see his quality and he just scores an important goal. Um, yeah, I think that's just what happens when you're a great striker and when there are high expectations uh, from all kinds of sites. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, uh, you can only listen to Zorc, for example, who basically said after the game that uh, he wants the players to just smack it in and not to be really fancy, whatever that means. Well, that's why he was partly responsible for the signing of uh, Giro Immobile. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But seriously, though, uh, do you not think that uh, just, you know, saying, oh, they have to just whack it in is maybe a little bit too easy that you sometimes need a fancy move to score? I, I think what, what sometimes what, what fans and even like officials uh, like sort experienced former players uh, underestimate is how good uh, goalkeepers are nowadays how good someone like Neuer or even Fermann are. Um, they can cover basically the entire goal. At least, like, when you when you stand in front of them, it looks like they cover the entire goal because they have a wide span, arm span. Um, they, they barely make mistakes as far as body movement and positioning goes. Um, so it, it's, even if you're, like, uh, close to the goal, sometimes it's really hard for a striker, even... Uh, um, very talented, gifted striker like Oameyang to score a goal. Um, that's why some strikers tend to play another pass to look for your teammate uh, because you, you just stand in front of these guys, Fermann, uh, Neuer, uh, who are, you know, the best examples in the Bundesliga, I think, and they look like giants. Yeah, I think you make a really good point there, Konstantin. Uh, from giants, though, to maybe dwarfs, 
Matthias, how did you see Felix Paslak in this game, studying in the wake of Eric Durm for the first time since, I think, the reverse fixture? I think he played well. Um, he, he worked really hard, uh, put in a good shift, so to speak. Um, I was, I was actually impressed. I mean, when I saw him and knowing, I mean, granted, uh, Tilo Kera, ex except for his goal, didn't have the best game, but you know, he's going up against Chupomoting, who has speed. I don't really rate Chupomoting. I think speed is all he has, personally. Uh, but still, an experienced player going up against a kid, uh, like Paslak, and Paslak did his job, I think, very well. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I think he had a couple of wobbles in the first 15 minutes or so, but uh, caught on well later on. Overall, I think we can say that Dortmund will be disappointed with dropping two points on the road yet again and not winning this game despite being clearly better than Schalke, especially vexing that they haven't won either derby this season despite being better over you know, 180 minutes. Um, yeah, they now plummeted back to fourth place because of that rotten away form and they only managed to win four away from home, meaning uh, 10 games weren't won, which is a really poor record for Dortmund standards. However, they managed to repair that partly against Hamburg by winning again and again and again and now they're unbeaten at home for two years. The Dortmund fans celebrated that a little bit. Uh, with a banner and all. The last time they lost was against Bayern Munich on the 4th of April 2015, which is quite amazing. So, Konstantin, why are they so good at home? Um, good question. Um, I don't really know. I just, they are dominating, um, most, I mean, almost every match at home, um, except for the Bayern match, if you remember the Bayern match in the Hinrunde. Uh, but normally they, yeah, all right. Um, normally they dominate and, um, they sometimes need a few minutes or even like, uh, one off, but then they break down opponents, uh, piece by piece, mostly. So I think, um, that's something most of the teams, uh, nowadays in the Bundesliga, they come with, uh, with a similar attitude or they travel with a similar attitude to Dortmund, um, as they do when they are, um, playing at Bayern Munich. They see them, they view themselves as underdogs and just go into the match with the mindset that they have to defend with everything they have, um, which is never the best uh, attitude to have um, because you have to do more than just defending, sitting deep and waiting for a quality opponent like Dortmund to win them over. So basically you're saying Dortmund just have to become more fearful and intimidating away from home. Matthias, why only four road wins? I think it comes down to the same, same basic attitude. The, the opposition feels empowered at home, obviously with their, their home fans. Uh, they know they have to perform a bit more at home. They don't expect to get any points away to Dortmund. Um, and I don't know if it's an attitude thing from Dortmund, but it's, it's kind of along the lines of if an opponent, um, <laughs> it's like a boxing term. If you get punched in the mouth a couple times, you start to become a little, you know, a little hesitant at times. And I think that's, that's the basic attitude Dortmund have away from home. When a team gets very, very physical with them, uh, which they then do, uh, they, they tend to back off a little bit. And I think, uh, that kind of plays into it. Whereas if it's Bayern, they're just scared of Bayern, whether they play in, Munich or at home. So uh, Dortmund are still getting to that point where they can play away from home pretty much just like they play. Well, at, at least home. they're strong in the home table. Uh, second behind Bayern Munich, uh, level on points there. So yeah, they're good and strong at home, as said earlier. However, uh, as flashy as a 3-0 win might be, Hamburg had plenty of chances to uh, also get a result. And, uh, yeah, especially when thinking to that very first chance of Bobby Wood. So, Matthias, if you watch it from the United States. Yeah, I did. And he's from the United States. Right. Why don't you talk about him first? You know, Bobby Wood, um, should have arguably scored two goals for Hamburg. And when he broke free early, 
I thought, oh, good, we're going to lose against Humbook again. And I said, it's not a trap game. <laughs> uh, that That's what I was thinking when he was running through. And I was honestly shocked that he didn't score. Um, you know, Buki positioned himself properly coming out. Uh, obviously, you know, he got a little lucky because uh, Wood kicked the ball against uh, the bottom half of Buki's leg. But still, that's what you're taught as a keeper to do is to stand the way he did and do the things he did. So uh, Bobby Wood had a, a bad day at the office, to say the least. And um, it, it definitely uh, helped seeing as that uh, we too, for the longest time, were also very, very careless with the amount of chances we had at goal. I think I counted around eight chances Dortmund uh, had at least very promising chances in, in this game. And, uh, yeah, it was Gonzalo Castro who I think scored the second scoring opportunity, which probably wasn't even the biggest one. But, uh, yeah, René Adler speculated falsely and thus got punished by, uh, Castro. You know, there probably will be a little bit of banter between him and Schmelzer. Nevertheless, I don't think we really have to discuss that it was a goalkeeping error by Adler, uh, who otherwise saved Hamburg's Spanken and kept them in the game, just like Dortmund did for, uh, just like Berkey did for Dortmund. Um, however, it was the first goal Dortmund scored from outside the box this season, at least in the Bundesliga, and that's a phenomena we've seen now over, yeah, longer stretches. So, Konstantin, in general, why do Dortmund score so few goals from long-range efforts? In general, uh, I think it's part of, Stort uh, of Dortmund's uh, system and like what the attack wants to do is to um, create combinations, uh, pass the ball several times and get into the box instead of shooting from outside because, as we know, the, the possibility, the percentage to um, even hit the target... Um, or even score a goal from outside is is very low. Um, and you waste possession. Uh, if you just you know bump uh, towards the goal and just pray for something to happen. Um, of course, some players are really gifted. Um, and they can or they have a very accurate um shot fr from the outside. But normally, um, most of the players, even at, at that level, um, they won't score. Uh, from outside so it's better to try to get into the box and then you know get someone free that's what Obama Young does he's at the end of a combination play after I don't know 15 passes he's the guy who should be free and then just tip it in so um, I don't think it would wise to just shoot like maniacs um, and I don't think Tuchel wants his players to do that quite frankly um, because he views football very similar to Pep Guardiola and a few other coaches and they want like combinations and they want to get into the box and ha have a high possibility of scoring at the end. Yep, that's the answer I was more or less looking for. Now Matthias, who do you think actually is the best at shooting from distance? Who are the best uh, marksmen who can shoot from long range in the Dortmund squad? Oh, uh, Dortmund players. Hmm. Not too many options, probably. No, probably. I mean, honestly, probably the best long-range shooter we have is Gonzalo Castro. Um, I'm trying to think if there's somebody who no, is... No, Yeah, but I mean, who plays regularly. Sure, but I, um, I mean, Nori Shahin, one of his strengths is his, yeah. his shooting ability, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Not not his penalty shooting. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> What about Rafael Guerrero, though? I think he has a pretty good shot as well, and maybe also Aubameyang. Yeah, but like Constantine just said, you know, I mean, that's not really part of Dortmund's game, so it's that's why it's so hard for us to judge that, because it happens so rarely. You know, I mean, if you were looking at a team like Bremen, it's easy. It's Slatko Junuzovic. I mean, hands down, that guy has one hell of a shot from distance, but it's because they have to rely on that more, whereas with Dortmund, that's not really part of our game and when you watch Bundesliga matches or just matches in general um, you got some of these or you see some of these um, center backs who just shoot from distance over and over again um, and maybe Socrates or someone would do that but uh, Tuchel would 
you know, be mad within a, within a second and just, you know, tell them to stop it and to just rely on combination plays. Um, so I, I think they just consider shooting from distance that much um, compared to maybe our teams. As you said, better Bremen or, you know, teams battling uh, relegation who can't get into the box that often, then they just desperately they shoot from outside. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially when you look uh, at the expected goal charts, you really know that the closer you get, the higher that value. And uh, yeah, Aubameyang and, and the whole team in general got a lot of flack for not putting those chances away. And while you can always agree while looking at chances individually, uh, yeah, you really have to say that Aubameyang overall is not a bad finisher. I mean, I looked at the expected goal accumulations over the seasons and compared them with Robert Lewandowski and uh, Aubameyang right now has an expected goal value accumulated of 22.71 and has scored 25 goals. So, uh, you know, almost two and a half goals scored more than expected of him according to that value. Meanwhile, Robert Lewandowski at 25.88 has scored 24 goals. Still not bad, but it shows you that Aubameyang has a higher efficiency in front of goal than the uh, world-class guy from Bayern Munich. Everyone's always... Uh, raving about so um yeah maybe a little bit of uh harsh criticism towards Aubameyang just looking at uh, how efficient he really is by by that number and yeah of course he scores a lot of tap-ins and of course a couple of chances go begging where you ask yourself well he should have done better but uh you know just looking at the averages Aubameyang is uh up there with uh Lewandowski and yeah even better so, yeah, anyone, anything else to add? I guess that's a no. So, Matthias, you wanted to talk yeah. about Emre Moore? Yes, yes. Um, uh, Emre Moore, you know, I mean, you and I talked about it before we recorded, and, you know, him and Debele, same age, came to Dortmund at the same time, um, very similar in the sense of technically very gifted, talented young players. To me, the big difference is Moore is still playing now like he did when he got here, whereas Dembele has made huge strides as a player in his development. And he frustrates me. Moore frustrates me. He frustrated me so much in, in Hamburg. He worked really hard. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, there's working hard and there's working hard to a point. And there were just so many opportunities where he just, he dribbled himself into a position that really didn't make sense. And and he had the opportunity to lay off the ball, to play the pass for players in better positions. Yeah, he had that solo run with that shot on goal just before he left. But even then, he should have played a pass. It was it was a wasted opportunity uh, in the final third. And that's really frustrating to watch. I think he needs, he needs to be loaned out because when Royce and Schürrle are fit, and then you've got Pulisic, if Pulisic and Dembele, he's not going to get on the bench. He's not going to see a, he's not going to get within a whiff of the first team. He shouldn't. And that's kind of been proven this season. So even though I commend him for his effort, he needs to learn, he needs to increase his footballing IQ at the end of the day. He just doesn't have the vision for the past. And all too often, he's far too selfish of a player. And so it's re it was really frustrating at times to watch. And I, I feel frustrated also for him because you can tell he really wants to impress and do well. He's just going about it the wrong way. And I think Dembele learned through the course of the season to not always be that selfish, but also play the pass when the pass is on. And he's become a staple for Dortmund and I would say one of the best um, players in the Bundesliga this season. You're right, but we have to give uh, that little one-two with Kagawa, which basically led to the foul, which led to Castro's free kick goal. Um, that was pretty brilliant by Emre Moore, right? Yeah, I would put that more. And speaking of Kagawa, I would put that move more on Kagawa, who I think played really well. Yeah, you're right. Kagawa was brilliant, and you're also right. Moore is right now nowhere near Dembele. I mean, if you, if you look at uh both of their short careers, um, you can see or you can see uh, one difference, and that is that last summer, um, both were signed by Dortmund. Both were, um, you know, viewed as very gifted players um, across Europe. 
you know, a lot of clubs wanted to sign them or were at least interested in signing them. Dortmund is one of the best address for young talents in Europe. So um, Dortmund made the race. Uh, Osman Dembele signed for Dortmund. He didn't go uh, to the European Championship. Emre Moore did. He um, was nominated for the Turkish team. Um, the Turkish team, of course, struggled in the group stage. And he was substituted, I think, um, in all three matches, or at least in two. And they, you know, and they threw, um, they threw him out there and basically told him, okay, you are our wunderkind. Um, just do something with the ball. Just create something, some magic moments. So that can, you know, get to you and, and create the illusion that you are some kind of wunderkind in reality. Um, because the weight of a, of a nation, of a proud nation, as on your shoulders for at least 20 or 30 minutes in, in a, an important European championship match. Uh, meanwhile, Dembele had to watch his, you know, his uh, fellow uh, Frenchmen uh, playing at home. He had to watch them, like uh, Antoine Griezmann, for instance, like these great players, he had to, he had to watch them, which maybe motiva motivated him um, to become one day uh, Antoine Griezmann, for instance. Or Kingsley Coma, or maybe Kingsley Coma is not the right uh, example, but you know that's just um, a difference, I think. Also, you cannot forget that both arrived in Dortmund with a different level or different experience playing professionally. I mean, uh, Dembele played for Rennes in Ligue 1, and I'm pretty sure the French first division is a little bit of a better school for a young player than the uh, Danish Super League. So um, obviously. That helps as well and is a factor for that. Uh, but uh, yeah, one little tidbit maybe Emre Moore uh, went through the mixed zone doing the old pretending to be on the phone trick. But uh, while he was doing that to avoid journalists, you could see that he had Cristiano Ronaldo and him uh, at the same time from, I think, the Real Madrid game on his phone while they were hugging. And uh, yeah, there you can see the ambition of Emre Moore that he apparently wants to desperately play for Ronaldo or be as good as Ronaldo at some point. Um, well, I, I guess you could say that closer to being a, a teammate or as good as Cristiano Ronaldo uh, than Emre Moore is uh, Usman Dembele right now. And I wanted to make the point that Dembele, like Moore, was hugging the touchline in the first half. I think he was playing on the right side. And uh, yeah, he was AWOL. He was rather ineffective when he was playing on, on so close to the touchline although you know you could see that it was Tuchel's plan to give Hamburg a lot of or spread Hamburg with a lot of width but uh, in the second half Dortmund's attacks were more dangerous and uh, that was also down to Dembele having more influence of the game because he was playing in a bit more central position and not so close to the touchline anymore. But of course, Dembele wasn't the main man in this game. Uh, Matthias, you've mentioned him before, and uh, you can sing the gospel now, Shinji Kagawa, again with a pretty good game, no? Uh, to me, it was the best match he's played this season. Why? Why? Um, well, I mean, he he took charge of the match. His passing was sharp. He was... Pressing resistant. <laughs> um, you know, he didn't lose the ball too quickly. His vision was good. He had an attacking impetus. I mean, who knows? Maybe the news of the signing of Dahoud and us, you know, talking about his impending departure from, from Dortmund inspired him to play the best match he did all season long. And he also had a little bit more freedom and more space centrally because You had the wide men play so wide, so he had a lot of room to work with. So, yeah, that's what I would attribute to it. Not so much the Dahoud thing, but the other factors. Meaning the ever-influential yellow wall pot. Yes, yeah, that was definitely the reason. Of course it was. Um, on a more serious note, Konstantin, do you have an explanation for Kagawa's uh, resurgence in form from out of nowhere, basically? Um, not really. Um, I mean, I, I don't see like this one deciding factor, uh, right now why he has improved so much or why his performances have improved. I think he as a player is still the same. Um, it more depends on his role 
on the pitch. I thought that uh, in the last matches he had more or less a perfect role. Um, he could stretch the defensive block sometimes. He was in the right place uh, more often than not. And yeah, maybe we don't know. Maybe he's now fully fit, and he wasn't a while ago. Um, sometimes these these factors play a big role. But uh, looking from the outside in, you you never really know if players maybe struggling with his fitness or has some minor injuries, um, but is still out there playing or trying to play and trying to perform to his best. Yeah, you're right. Just so many factors. Um, and. I mean, I kind of do want to segue into the Bayern game now because I think we've talked enough about Hamburg. Um, however, we do have to talk a little bit about Borussia Dortmund's defense in that game, of course. So, Matthias, how big of a difference will it be that Socrates is back for the Bayern game? It'll be huge. It's like night and day, Socrates versus Ginta. Um, I, honestly, I think the best spell that Ginta had at Dortmund was when he was playing at right back. Um, not at center back or even when he played in midfield. So, um, you know, I think Bartra and Socrates have developed chemistry. They've developed a partnership. There's also an understanding with Bürki as well as with the, the fullbacks. I mean, granted, if they play in a back three, it, it helps. Pischek tucks inside basically as a center back. Um, it's it it means a lot and, and you know it because you always talk about automatism that center your back line has to consistently play together to understand each other's strengths and weaknesses when one pushes forward the other one tucks in back i mean you had it for years with Hummels and Subotic then you had it with Hummels and Socrates eventually and now you're getting there with Bartra and Socrates and you throw in Ginta in that mix, and it's just, you can tell that there is a, a lack of security there, um, and they, they get nervous. Bartra overcompensates too many times, and Bürki also isn't, and you could tell even in, in the Hamburg match that Bürki was not very happy a few times with his backline's performance, uh, even though he's not the most vocal keeper, but he you definitely saw it. And so I think that'll make a, a huge difference. It's a big bonus for us. I, I think if Socrates wasn't playing and it would be Bartra and Ginta back there, I would be very concerned. Yeah, no cause for concern there. And while we are on Mark Bartra, we might as well mention the, yeah, funny story or, yeah, nice little anecdote of the field where he, uh, found a woman, uh, which he saw on, on Twitter sitting, uh, in the yellow shirt between all the Schalke fans during the derby. And yeah, today was the day where he got to give her his jersey, which he promised to give her if she could be found. And that's what he did. And yeah, funnily enough, her husband, who of course is a Schalke fan, uh, didn't let that op opportunity slip to give him a Schalke jersey, which of course, yeah, it's a funny little side note between all the business and makes everyone a little bit more human so yeah props to that um anywho let's start with Bayern Munich uh Konstantin do you want to analyze that game yeah I mean I could analyze uh Dortmund Bayern uh Dortmund won one nil so <laughs> yeah there's that uh and maybe <laughs> pre-analyze if pre you will pre-analyze <laughs> preview uh the match it's um if just you know speaking of their last encounter uh in the Hinrunde, the one nil victory uh for Dortmund, it might be a, an example how you can beat Bayern. On the other hand, you got uh the match on Tuesday, Hoffenheim beat Bayern one nil <laughs> as well uh, at home, and I think that could also lead to. Maybe Tuchel uh, making some adjustments, but also Angelotti making some. I think uh, the blueprint is out there now. Uh, how you can beat Bayern if they are a little bit sleepy uh, in, in terms of pressing and defending. Uh, because the first 20 or 30 minutes on Tuesday, uh, when Hoffenheim dominated Bayern, and really dominated Bayern, had a lot of... Uh, Goal scoring opportunities came, uh, get, uh, got behind, uh, several times. Wagner, Kermaric, Demirbay, and they really, they 
just, you know, demolished uh, Bayern's defense for at least 20 or 25 minutes uh, until the goal, more or less, until they scored the goal. Um, so what happened was that Hoffenheim played their usual 5-3-2, so with two wingbacks and Bayern with three attackers up front. They tried to pressure um, Hoffenheim's three defenders, three centre-backs, and they just played quick passes towards one of the um, wingbacks, and then either Alaba or Afinia, one of the one of Bayern's fullbacks, had to leave the position, move forward. So there was a lot of space next to uh, Ivor Hummels or Ravi Martinez, and then one of the centre midfielders of Hoffenheim just you know used the space, uh, moved towards the wing, picked up the ball, or received the pass, um, and just you know stretched the defense, the remaining defense uh, with Hummels and Martinez who both aren't the quickest uh, defenders. So that is one blueprint. On the other hand, of course, Angelotti saw the match (laughs) as well. And maybe you will figure something out because uh, Hoffenheim and Dortmund, there are similar approaches um, as far as the formation, as far as uh, the build-up play uh, goes. So we don't know if if Bayern will adjust to that because I I could imagine that Tuchel will apply a similar approach, um, just like Nagelsmann did on Tuesday. Yeah, but Nagelsmann didn't have to deal with uh, Thiago Müller and uh, Philipp Lahm. So Matthias, uh, with all of those three players being definitely back in the starting eleven for Bayern, how much do you really think we can apprehend from that Hoffenheim game Bayern lost? Well, it it, it tends to be this season, uh, you know, except for you know maybe uh, the Dortmund Bayern match that. When Bayern get beaten, there's usually extenuating circumstances behind it. Uh, beyond the other team has to play really well. Don't uh, Bayern have to have a few things going against them as far as uh, personnel, and then be a little lax. And and so uh, I think that uh, that definitely played in there. I I don't know if we can extrapolate a lot from that for this match because it's it's you know, so important um to for them to do well against Dortmund in the not because of league position, they're champions, but in lead up to A the Real Madrid match and then B playing against Dortmund again in the cup in a few weeks. So I I think you're gonna see a different Bayern both from player personnel but also from attitude versus what we saw against Hoffenheim. Yeah, I kind of share that sentiment and uh, every time I open the internet I find the uh, gospel uh, running down on uh, Thiago Alcantara. Apparently he is one of the best midfielders in the world right now, which uh, might as well be true. Um, Konstantin, how much of an influence is Thiago for Bayern right now? I mean, you mentioned that um, on Tuesday... Renato Sanchez and Rafinha played instead of uh, Thiago and uh, Philipp Lahm. And Hoffenheim, of course, knew that and they try or they pressured both players, Renato and Rafinha. But these situations didn't really lead to um, goal scoring opportunities. What led to goal scoring opportunities, what, what I explained uh, a few moments ago. Um, so technically, there's still like a blueprint. Just wanted to mention that. Uh, on the other hand, you you don't know if, if Bayern just wants to control the the match and doesn't even allow Dortmund to have a lot of build-up situations uh, because it's of course a home match and not you know playing away at uh, Sinsheim. So um, yeah, Thiago, one of the best midfielders. Um, I don't think there's one. Uh, defense in this world that can shut him down for the entire 90 minutes. So, and certainly Dortmund won't be able to shut him down for the entire 90 minutes. What you can do is shut down his options as good as you can. Um, so that he has to do more or less, you know, everything on his own. But still, he's like a great tripler, uh, a great runner. So even a great shooter. So <laughs> even, even if you like, you know, um, remove all of his passing options, he still has a lot of tools to hurt you. So, yeah, it will be very, very hard for Dortmund uh, to, yeah, neutralize Thiago. It's almost impossible. It's just the same like like Andres Iniesta, you know, another uh, Barcelona product, 
basically the older version of, of Tiago, although of course there are differences, but um, it's it was never possible to shut down Iniesta for ninety for the entire ninety minutes. It's only for shorter spills, unless of course there are some injuries or something. But uh, as far as I know, Tiago is fit, and so he will perform. And that's scary. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's probably how it's going to be, which is. Why it's even more important that Dortmund have some uh, momentum going forward themselves, Matthias. What is that Dortmund can do to uh, create some momentum against Bayern and uh, stifle them maybe also in their offensive skill? What's what's the plan here? Well, I think one of the keys is what you talked about, um, looking at Dembele against uh, Hamburg versus against Schalke. Against Schalke, he was tucked in much closer and give him kind of a free roll uh it seemed and and i think he could be that kind of unlocking player that also helps create space for someone like kagawa to then operate in uh, just because Dembele is relatively unpredictable uh, as far as where he cuts what he does and so on and his change of pace is so dynamic um so i i think that kind of combination with obama young ahead of him uh, those, those three, Tembele, Kagawa, and Aubameyang, for me, are the key in Dortmund having a chance of scoring goals. Um, now, as far as not conceding goals, eh, we'll have to wait and see. Well, uh, that's not really a sufficient answer, Matthias. No. No. Uh, <laughs> Konstantin, uh, what can Dortmund do to shut down Bayern? Uh, well, using the same kind of pressing intensity and pressing system they used in the first match, but this time um, until the last minute and not just for 30 minutes. Because that was the problem in the Hinrunde, in some of the bigger matches. Uh, Dortmund was brilliant uh, in some of uh, against Bayern and Real Madrid for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe 60 minutes, but they they didn't have the gas tank to pressure their opponents, superior opponents, for 90 minutes. So you can shut down Bayern's uh, build-up play uh, with a, you know, f uh, two, four, uh, three, four, three system, for instance, um, with a versatile system. So not just man-marking your opponents, but a lot of switches, um, more or less, you know, running from the outside in to just force passes into the center and then pressure there or do the opposite coming from the inside, um, running towards the outside to lead passes towards the, uh, wings. So there, there, there are, uh, possibilities, but you have to be uh, on top of your game. I mean, just otherwise, uh, Bayern will find a gap and then it's too late because they will break through and they got Lewandowski and Robin who are just, um, tremendous uh, when they come close to the box or when they are in the box. Um, so, yeah, they have basically to do the same they did in the Hinrunde in, in the first match against Bayern, but for a longer spell. At best, for 90 minutes. Because when you rewatch the game, sorry, just one thing, when you rewatch the game, just rewatch um, the minute prior to the goal. Prior to, I think, Oameyang scored, right? Um, prior to the goal, because um, that was, there was like beauty. Um, you got Dortmund pressuring, Dortmund intercepting, then losing the ball again, then counter-pressing, winning the ball again, building up through Weigel and Socrates, then getting down the right side, uh, breaking into the box and scoring. That's just, you know, there was everything you have to do as a top-tier team was with, was seen or was shown within a minute. That's just tremendous. Yeah, Marco Royce and uh, Mario Götze both out against Bayern most likely. Um, Matthias, what do you make of Christian Pulisic, who hasn't played much in the last two games? Is he a candidate for a start? I don't know. Um, you know, he's he played so well for so long, and he's a little flat in the last two matches, and I think that has purely to do with he's just tired. He's still a young kid. Can't forget that. He's not a 25, 27, 28-year-old veteran. He's he's still a really young player. Um, I I, you know, given the players at our disposal, I would at least, uh, I'd like to see Pulisic start just because I think his pace 
can make uh, up for a lot, especially if we're playing more of a counter-attacking style. I, for one, expect a very counter-attacking team tomorrow. Uh, Konstantin, who do you think Tuchel will or should pick uh, when he is opting for a rather yeah, transition-heavy team with a lot of pace up front? That's difficult. I think maybe you, you remove Kagawa when you went uh, 3-4-3. Um, just to have Dembele on the right, and then you need someone on the left, and that's that's really difficult right now. I mean, you you can have Kagawa there, but then you have like more or less two, uh, you know, wingers on paper who will move inside a lot. So you could, but I, you could do that actually. Um, against Lam, I think that could work out, quite frankly. Um, so yeah, you could do that. Um. Or you you just use Kagawa, yeah. Um, that's a little bit of a problem. The, the, the one position, left wing on left sided striker position, that's like the weak spot right now because Royce is of course injured all the time. That's just his gimmick. He's like the world class player injured. <laughs> yeah, I expect maybe Rafael Guerrero to play more on the left side, maybe to fill that gap for for Royce because uh, Dortmund needs someone with a little bit more ball retention as well. You can't just. Uh, Focus fully on, on counter-attacking. Anywho, let's knock this on the head and move over to predictions. Matthias, you go first. Yeah, um, I was actually thinking about it this morning. How would I predict this match? Uh, I definitely can see Bayern win. Um, I can also see Dortmund win. So I'm going to go with a one-all draw. Sitting on the fence here, Konstantin, what is your prediction for that game? I think Bayern will win. 2-1. I think Bayern will win 3-1. I don't think Dortmund really do have much of a chance with all the injuries they sustained and yeah, yeah, they are not really fit. Meanwhile, Bayern got to rest a couple of key players against Hoffenheim. I think they will just overpower Dortmund in this one, unfortunately. Um, yeah, that's that. And after Dortmund lost in Munich, they will go up against Monaco on Tuesday, which uh, will be an enticing game few days only to recover. Konstantin, what are the uh, strengths and weaknesses of Ars Monaco? I think you just have to watch both uh, encounters they had with uh, Manchester City. You get the full range of uh, strengths and weaknesses. Um, or just watch the first match uh, against Man City. They lost 3-5 to five and they re really were great um, during the first 60 minutes maybe um, because they just shut down Man City's build-up play um, great man marking in the middle, uh, but then Pep Guardiola, um, still a great coach, and uh, Manchester City figured out how to beat uh, Monaco. They are, uh, you know, they are parallels uh, to Schalke, by the way. So they they man marked um, the center midfielders against uh, Man City, and which opened space, which created space for Sergio Aguero dropped uh, back from his center forward position. Um, of course, I mean Dortmund has Aubameyang. Oamyang is not Aguero, um, not really uh, our, our, our strengths, of course, but Aguero is a better uh, striker when it comes down to, you know, getting involved in combination plays and everything. Um, so, yeah, their, their strength is their pressing, especially in, in a Champions League uh, match. But um, also it can be their weakness because um, they are sometimes so focused on man marking um the, the opposing midfield players so um maybe Dortmund can figure something out um maybe overloading the center a little bit getting Dembele in next to Castro and and Kagawa for instance something like that and then um you know having an um you know having an advantage there maybe it's 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 really difficult um it's a talented squad uh a lot of quick players uh, quick on their feet um, technically gifted, so um, they can hit Dortmund uh, on the break a lot if Dortmund uh, doesn't manage to, uh, to, to you know, get a proper combination play going. Certainly. I mean, I looked at the uh, stats, at the position stats before uh, this match, and uh, I found out Dortmund have the fifth most possession in the Champions League thus far with 60.2%. Meanwhile, Monaco are the 
21st in that order with 47.4. So you can already see that Dortmund are looking forward to uh, handling the ball. Meanwhile, Monaco preferring a little bit more of a reactive style, which I found especially striking uh, is uh, the, uh, the momentum of their forwards right now. Um, I looked at their expected goals and it's uh, absolutely insane that... Um, Mbappé right now is uh, 6.52 goals above average in, in the, the expected goals value. Uh, he has 12 league goals and an expected goal value of 5.48. And similar with Falcao at 16 points, uh, at 16 goals right now with, uh, an above average of 5.06 goals. And yeah, his, his except, expected goal value right now at 10.94, which uh, is quite off the charts if you look at the Bundesliga. So Aubameyang is roughly about two over average right now, but there's no player nowhere near those kind of stats. So that's kind of breathtaking uh, to see how clinical Monaco are right now up front and uh, how uh, yeah little they need to uh, create goals. Well, but this also means they will regress at one point. And yeah, certainly that would be my next point to make yeah, that sure. you know they can keep it up for the entire <laughs> season probably but they are just so dangerous because on one hand great pressing uh can pressure every opponent uh in the Champions League and of course Dortmund I mean Dortmund doesn't have uh Matsumis anymore which is uh, a negative and also because of Mape uh Silva and Lamar Especially, um, they got speed when they, when they intercept early, um, they can pl play down the field and, you know, have a dangerous counterattack. So it's really dangerous for Dortmund. And it is a disadvantage that Dortmund plays at home first. Uh, one or two away goals for Monaco could change the entire, um, the entire structure of this, uh, of this duel between Dortmund and Monaco. Yeah. I mean, Bernardo Silva has picked up seven assists in the Ligue A thus far. Lemar has six assists and uh, Lemar even has a couple more chances created with 49 opposed to Silva with 45. But they are both uh, up there at the very top of, of Ligue A when it comes to created chances. So, uh yeah, Dortmund have to be re really, really wary of them. Maybe uh they have to uh, shut down a couple of passing lanes there before... Lemar and Silva can be unleashed. Uh, I saw that Fabinho in midfield, the defensive midfielder, has the most received passes in that team. So maybe cutting off the, the passing route to, to him will stifle them in an attack. So, Matthias, what are you expecting from that game? Um, well, I, I, I expect it to be actually be a very entertaining match. Uh, I, I definitely don't see it as a nil-nil or a one-nil type match. Uh, there will be goals scored, unfortunately, on both sides. Um, and that's one thing you could take from the Manchester City match, uh, is, is just how, I mean, that was very, very entertaining tie. And given that Dortmund and Tuchel, you know, if they win 6-2, 5-2, there, he seems to be okay with that, uh, just like Pep Guardiola was apparently okay with 5-3. Um, I, I think it's going to be a high-speed high, high speed type match. I don't think there are going to be a lot of major lulls in the match, uh, which will be nice to watch as a neutral. It'll probably be relatively nerve-wracking for myself. That this will be a goal fest is a general sentiment of almost everyone, uh, but if I think back one season or maybe two even, I... Uh Remember a Monaco team that was always very clinical, but also very min uh, minimalistic. A lot of one-nil score lines, not a lot of spectacle. Um, why has that changed so radically, Constantine? They under Leo, uh, Leonardo Jardim, they worked out or they figured out how to be more effective in pressing, which means on the other, or uh, you got more opportunities to uh, have transition attacks. That's just what it is. I mean, the last year, you're right. Um, they were more a team sitting back, sitting deep and waiting for opportunities from a deep position, which of course is more difficult to score from there or to create a, a opportunity to score, uh, as opposed to right now where they pressure already, already pressure very high, already have a high press 
and try to intercept early on and then, you know, create opportunities through uh, Silva and, and Lemar and uh, also Falcao, he's back more or less um, after uh, a downtime, a long downtime. He's back and is not the old Falcao. That's not right. He's not as quick anymore. Um, he has he has not lost a step uh, figuratively, but maybe um, it's but he's still so dangerous, you know. And you got Mbappe, uh, Mbappe who's uh, the young gun up front, um, who, who has the speed and the agility. Yeah. Um, it's just a different kind of Monaco team you see right now, and thanks to Chardim, who who is uh, the great mind behind the success of Monaco. Yeah, it will be interesting to see uh, how that will pan out for Dortmund. I mean, Dortmund uh, will be pretty content with the draw, given that it's one of the very few draws in the head where they are not the underdog, also maybe not the favorite. Um, however, Matthias, we... Uh, must keep in mind that they play Bayern before that. And uh, we've seen after high-profile games that there have been a lot of hangovers. So will Dortmund have the quote-unquote Champions League hangover uh, already have in the Champions League? I don't think so. Uh, I don't. I, I predict a hangover in the match after the Monaco match. Which is against Frankfurt. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, we're not going to preview Frankfurt, of course. But... Uh, I, I think they'll be up for it because it's the Champions League and they've been up for it every single time. So I'm not too concerned. There may be some tired legs, uh, maybe some earlier substitutions depending on how the match goes because Tuchel is also one to sometimes hang on to his subs very, very long. Uh, in my opinion, at times too long. Um, but uh, I think we'll see substitutions earlier against Bayern and then again earlier against Monaco just to compensate for for the extreme fixture congestion that we have right now. Yeah, I will now uh, be a little bit mean and ask you the question or ask you to predict the lineup <laughs> and uh, maybe also the scoreline afterwards. So go ahead. Oh, jeez. Um, I think you'll see this, the exact same defense. Um, so you've got your Schmelzer, Batra, Socrates, Piszczek, Durm with Birki behind. After that, it's going to get a little bit interesting. Uh, obviously, Weigl, I think, will play. Um, it, it depends. Uh, after that, comes down to who is fit. I I don't know. I'd love to see Shaheen again um, for a longer period of time. And, uh, you know, I think if Schüle is fit for either Bayern or Monaco, he will possibly start either Bayern or Monaco. Uh, but other than that, you know, barring any injuries, I do expect Dembele in there and Kagawa and and Aubameyang. Interesting. Um, Constantine, I assume that there won't only be maybe a change in personnel on the field, but also a tactical approach given that Bayern <laughs> and Monaco are not quite the same. Uh, how do you see that pan out? Well, I think the approach, the tactical approach will be of course, different uh, compared to the Bayern match. Uh, I'm just, of course, I know he will play. I'm not convinced that he will be effective. I think he could be the weak spot uh, in Dortmund's team. Speaking of Eric Dorm, uh, the weak spot against Bayern, uh, against Alaba and maybe Ribéry or even Kingsley Coman. So, but I, I know that he will play against Bayern or I'm certain that he will play. Um, however, I think Pulisic, for instance, could be uh, fitting right back against uh, Monaco. Uh, you have because you can switch a little bit between the back four and the back five with um, Piszczek playing as the right side at center back. You can switch there and push Pulisic a little bit forward. There are some options uh, when you got Pulisic instead of um, Eric Dorm, um, especially. So yeah, other than that, um, we will see who is fit. Um, I could see uh, Guerrero playing instead of Castro against uh, Monaco because you need a, a more dominant, uh, more able midfielder uh, with a best, better passing game than Castro. So Guerrero would be my choice instead of Castro who probably plays against uh, Bayern. Um, so yeah, there would be the changes. And 
depending um, on where his fitness maybe plays against Monaco. But as history has shown, Royce needs at least two, uh, most likely three or four matches to get back to form after a longer injury. So I don't know if he would be the right fit uh, to play in in an important match. Because I think, of course, it is all about prestige against Bayern, but um, the Monaco match is more important, in my opinion. Well, I would kindly disagree there. I think that Dortmund actually have to chase the Bundesliga right now a little bit more than the Champions League, just because uh, there is no guarantee right now that they actually will finish in the top three and uh, leapfrogging Hoffenheim won't be easy uh, if they lose in Munich. And uh, that's what I right now assume. And uh, yeah, also with with playing in, in three competitions, it, it won't be any easier. So um, without any further ado, however... Matthias, we shall move on to the predictions and you go once again first. Okay, I'm going to go with a 3-1 victory for Dortmund. Yeah, I would slightly disagree. Uh, 2-1 for Dortmund. I will go for 3-2 Dortmund win and I have a hunch Marco Reus will get off the bench and grab a goal. It should be a dramatic game, I don't know, just... What I'm feeling, um, yeah, before we wrap the show up, Matthias, I wanted to talk about one last thing, and that is, of course, the uh, celebration at the Revier Derby by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, because uh, that has caused quite the stir, and <laughs> yeah, he was fined in the end by the club for doing it, because he was celebrating uh, by a, with with a mask, which wasn't quite the superhero, but uh, a marketing ploy. So, how do you see all that? Um, I mean, obviously, from a financial business, sponsorship, all that kind of stuff perspective, it wasn't the right move. Um, as a professional in the sense of, you know, Puma is the sponsor of Dortmund. You're putting yourself and your personal sponsor, Nike, into the forefront um, I know that something similar happened with Götze at Bayern when he had a Nike t-shirt and they're obviously sponsored by Adidas. From that perspective, it was wrong. Okay. From a different perspective, I had no problem with it. I think all too often sport is sport, but sports also entertainment, you know, no matter what. And I watched the, the Kika talk or whatever they call it. Uh, on Eurosport, I could watch it on YouTube over here, and they had Matthias Sommer and Karl-Heinz Wild from Kicker, and they were talking about how horrible it is, and uh, Karl-Heinz Wild called it an Affentheater, and, and Sommer said it's bad for your, you know, what you did there, and uh, you know, think of the opposition, and you're gonna get them amped up and stuff like that. You know, uh, he obviously did that with the whole Batman Robin thing with Royce against Schalke before. Uh, I don't have that big of a problem. I think there should be fun and entertainment in sport. Uh, it's kind of like in the NFL, you celebrate, it's a penalty. Um, he celebrated, knew he was going to get a booking. I don't think you should get a booking for that, in my opinion. It's football, it's passion, it's fun, it's entertainment, and it's a type of entertainment at the end of the day, no matter what uh, people like Zama or Wild or other people want to believe. And so I personally didn't have a big issue with it at all uh, from the entertainment and fun aspect. And especially because it's against Schalke. And, you know, I don't mind sticking it where it hurts at times with Schalke. But uh, from a from a business standpoint, I get why it was a problem um, with Nike versus Puma. So that's my two cents. You know, personally, I really couldn't care less about all this because you know doesn't really make a difference but i think overall he might lose a little bit of credibility with uh the hardcore supporters because you know it's not a superhero mask anymore not all just fun and games because he is uh yeah using it as a marketing stunt and yeah some people might rub that the wrong way so so you mean he lost some tweet credibility because he wore a mask uh, on the pitch yeah exactly yeah, I mean, going forward, um, there will be an issue we will we will see more often, or we will discuss more often. Um, that is that an Adidas um, basically stated it that they will going forward um, focus on signing players and not 
having uh, big deals with clubs because they think players are the bigger brands. And Nike does the same, basically. So, of course, they have uh, deals with uh, clubs providing kits and everything and selling selling shirts. Uh, they will always do uh, because they also produce the best uh, star- products. I mean, Puma, Adidas, Nike, and so on. Um, but they've these brands, these companies focus on endorsing players and using their faces um, to promote um, the brand Nike or the brand Adidas or, or Puma. So there will all or there will be an issue. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, or um, so there will be an issue. If you sign a player as a club, if you sign a player uh, who's under contract, uh, let's say, you know, uh, under a Nike contract and you are added as a Puma club, um, there will always be an issue uh, because Nike will push the player if it's a, a good, uh, famous player. If it's oh, I'm a young guy, young guy, uh, a young guy, talented, scores goals, has a lot of highlight reels on YouTube, etc., etc. He's also a little bit flashy, um, driving a big Lamborghini and everything. Um, so they will push the player as a Nike player, and you are you are the club, um, you know, trying to sell your Adidas shirts or whatever your, your Adidas kits um, or Puma kits, whatever. Um, so there will be an issue. Uh, we will discuss more often, I think. Um, so you're saying that Aubameyang won't join Real Madrid because they're sponsored by Adidas? Oh yeah, absolutely. That will be the reason, the only reason. <laughs> that, that, that's why they will fire um, Ronaldo. All right, that's our cue. <laughs> Matthias and Konstantin, once again, thanks for joining us. And uh, who else would there be better to say goodbye than you personally, Matthias? You've done the outro so well the last time. I will yet again give it up to you now. Okay, so um, if you want to get touch with the Yellow Wall, uh, you can do so via Twitter at Yellow Wall Pod. You can also find us on Facebook, just put in Yellow Wall Pod. Uh, you can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, and SoundCloud, as well as on Patreon. So again, thank you everybody for supporting us there. Stefan, how can people get in touch with you personally? They can find me on Twitter at Stefan Butzko and find my written work on ESPNFC. Thank you, Matthias. Oh, you're welcome. And what about yourself, Konstantin? Uh, they can find me on Twitter, uh, cc underscore ECKNER and also on spielverlagerung.com and .de. And myself, you can find on Twitter at Matthias Suk. So thank you again, everybody. And thank you, Stefan, for hosting as always. Thanks. And editing. And editing. <laughs> So everybody stay safe. <laughs>